0: Hi, I'm Deepak Madnani, entrepreneur, problem solver, and amateur barista. I am on a mission to help forward thinking entrepreneurs succeed and grow by understanding two simple rules. Crisis is a clarity opportunity, and the question is never really the question. Today, I am putting my barista skills to the test and sharing a cup of coffee with resilient problem solvers from all over the world. Let's get started. So I've made myself a three-blend coffee, okay, on my espresso machine. I've got Nescafe. Okay,
1: so... Cheers. But, but that's what you normally drink, right? No, I have Nespresso normally, but for you, I did Nescafe this morning.
0: Well, look, there's no judgment, and if you're enjoying that, it's all great. But I'm going to introduce you to Vikas. I'm going to introduce you now. Please do
1: please do, please
0: do. And please do. so we both have our beverages, and despite our efforts, we are still both enjoying a cup of coffee. Okay? In Vikas Bota, background in public relations, but to go through that background, we will talk about that, has worked for himself and then worked for the Family Foundation. And long story short, Vikas basically set up the Global Teacher Prize, which is one of your ideas, actually, that you initiated as well, right? I mean, this was part I, of something. I, I, it wasn't my idea, but I built it. Uh, okay. So it was a new idea that, that you built from scratch right. and, and the global teacher prize for a lot of people, they call it the Nobel prize for teachers, but the approach was very different. And I said, you built it, I guess to clarify there, it was an idea, but you developed it to the point of you weren't executing a plan. This was an idea that you, that you built from scratch. Like there was no game plan. There was no framework. You built that exactly. Correct. And hence I say, it's not about the idea, it's about the execution and and it was your plan. And so Vikas and I are part of the Young Global Leader organization, part of the World Economic Forum. So that's how we met. But most importantly, we're good friends. So I have a lot of respect for what Vikas has done, accomplished and what he continues to do. And in fact, we caught up recently and Vikas is in the transition phase of his life again he's moving on, but not just moving on, but he's also pivoting. He's doing everything an entrepreneur does, but with all that experience and processing it in the right way. And you'll hear more from my questions to Vikas. I have a lot of respect for his mindset, how he approaches, Vikas, you may not even know this, by the way. So that's why we're we're talking about this. And that's why I'm so glad to have you here. But it's your approach to your mind, it's your mindset approach to all these challenges that you face. So I'm going to pass it to you. Let's just talk about how you got started to get you here. I know that's the long question, but how you got started to get you here?
1: I Deepak, thank you so much for this opportunity, and likewise, I too feel that you're a remarkable guy and someone who I really enjoyed building a relationship. We did meet actually in Myanmar, and I can probably even point exactly where we met. Wow, it's yes, a, bit of a, a bit, bit of a Bollywood film kind of movement. Yeah, uh, able to that's pinpoint, but the the question you ask is interesting in terms of how, i think the question was how am i where i am today
0: how you got started to get you where you are today yes it's, a, it's it's a bit of a twist on the question of how you got started
1: yeah so you know i remember quite early on so i remember for example my father passed away when i was very young and so in terms of guidance in the family my mother was an uneducated a lady from India who, on the basis of a photo, got married to her husband, my father, and moved continents to go to East Africa, where, where my father and his siblings were born. And at a very young age, we moved to the UK. I was nine years old. And in the process, I would say, in the transition process between my family fully emigrating to the UK, my father passed away, untimely death. And I remember we had this relative who took an interest in me and asked me, what do I want to do in life? And I was coming to that Important decision making point at the age of 13 in terms of what choices do I make for my GCSE qualifications, which we normally sit at the age of 16 and there onwards. And I remember my mother saying something quite interesting to me. She said, Look, because all I know is, is that the people that go to university do better in life. And so I want you to get to university. Right. And that was her only really thing. She goes, I can't tell you anything else. I myself am not educated. I don't know anything about this education Mm. system, but I do know this is an observation. So I I took that on face value and I just worked my way towards that goal, which was to get to university. And even when I graduated from university, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. But the point was I had a generalist business management degree from from a mid-ranking university in the UK. And I did what the typical graduate does, apply for graduate jobs. And I made, I think it was something like 75 applications to all these graduate schemes. And at the very fag end of probably number 73 or 74, a few came in with interviews. And that's where I started my career in terms of on a graduate scheme for HSBC Bank. And the thing I realized, actually, I spoke about this on someone else's podcast recently, and you quickly realize what kind of person you are, actually, when you first start working. At first, you're intoxicated in terms of you have a job. It's a great institution in the square mile in the city of London. I mean, you can't get better, right? When you start working, you understand how the workplace functions yeah. and what the dynamics are. And I think the first year just goes into that, right? And they put you on training programs and so on and so forth. The thing I realized even at that point was, you know, I really hated working for a large organization. It was quite—it's quite something. I remember my my annual appraisal with my manager's manager, like, mm. you know, who's the head of the team. And I'd knocked it out of the park. I'd overachieved on all my goals and that kind of thing. So I, I had a very straightforward conversation. So well, how does this reflect in my remuneration? or yeah. in my bills? And he said, because I've been here for 20 years, I'm two grades above you. Do you really think? And at that point, I just thought, oh my God, where have I landed? Mm, interesting. Uh, and that was pretty, I remember that moment quite a bit. And then I remember going on vacation with some friends of mine we went to Cancun in Mexico. And I was sitting for some exams at HSBC. And in good fashion, I took, I took a file with me just to read. And because I needed to study for it, it wasn't just going to happen by itself. And I remember I, I was with two of my university friends. And in university, I was very social. I was very involved in student politics. I was involved in societies and clubs. And really, I had a really great social experience at university. And I remember we were sitting on this beach in Cancun. And I had this file open. And one of my friends said, man, you work at HSBC Bank, graduate program, you must meet so many people and do so many great things. The perception was this was an incredible institution. And the sadness that actually dawned on me there and then was, if I did my job properly, I probably wouldn't have to speak to anyone. Because it would just involve sending an email or a message or something like that. And you just think, how sad. I mean, look at what I really enjoyed and thrived in and look at this model Mm -hmm. that I've been forced into, and it really didn't chime. So at that moment, I I checked out mentally from that job. I went to pursue different things, different opportunities, different experiences. And I think that's what that first moment in terms of the stepladder of my career was quite important. So that clarity that came in,
0: and then when you said, I went on to pursue other diverse experiences and uh, opportunities, were they also on the corporate side or, or were they?
1: Yeah, they were. But there was this, there was this very young dynamic organization that, that was in the telecom sector by a Canadian billionaire of Welsh descent. And in the telecoms industry, there was humongous growth that was happening. Right, right. No, it was hot back then, right? Back in the 90s, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was in the actually early 2000s. And what so what happened was, was that I joined as a salesman you know, going from a graduate program in securities and stockbroking into being a salesman for telecom infrastructure. I mean, this yeah. is not a high expensive kit. Sure. But nonetheless, that experience was just out of this world because it really was relationship-based. It was selling. I really enjoyed those things. And I learned a lot in that role. And the thing was, just as fast as there was growth, also the sector also started going through recessionary right. effects, Right. And so they had to retrench people. And one of the Things that happened was I got laid off, right? And at that point, actually, they put like, this is your second job. You've been working for probably five, six years now. Mm. I think I just got married. We had, didn't have any kids. And you really try to assess what is it that really, really excites you and what do you want to do? And I'd worked for two humongous organizations, actually, two really large organizations. And, and you just think, well, that wasn't for me. Mm. Because you become a cog in a wheel in many respects. And you really have to bend over backwards in terms of the processes and that they put in place in order to be successful. Whereas I was never like that.
0: But you've taken out now so far, and and this is where this word perspective is really important, really important. Because there is this, and we'll we'll continue with your story, but there is this this idea that entrepreneurs, we start a business and we're successful. (laughs) Because that's all you read as well, right? Actually, I think the chances of succeeding in entrepreneurship is like tiny. And that's not to say not to do it, but, but basically it's the journey to that success of which is this, I used to use this word, I have this graveyard of name cards. Literally this graveyard of name cards is different businesses I set up. And the only difference that I'm hearing so far is that the game is different, but let's use the word crisis or those crucible moments, those reflection points happen regardless of which track you're on whether you're on your own or you're under a corporate setting. But yeah, that's potentially a crisis moment when you're saying, I checked out of of HSBC. That wasn't you kind of riding the wave and saying, hey, I'm just gonna keep going here because it's so easy. No, you're like, this is not for me. I'm I'm sure that was challenging. It's like, what do I do now? Because I don't want to be here, right? And then of course, then you face this market crash. But then you're also like, I don't want to be here.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things. Actually, partly is that realization. And actually, we came from such a low base as a family in terms of just wealth or anything like that. I mean, what's the risk? I, I look at what this is. It's just upside when you think about it. What's the risk? Okay. You're trying to save as much money as you can, mm. right? For your family's prosperity. But it's not as if you're on a high-weight job or high-salary job at that point. And so you just think, well, I can get another job with the same income or the same salary. And go and and do much better. And at that time, the risk is nothing. And I think anything under 32, 33, I think you can take those kinds of risks. So how did you approach this next phase then? Well, the next job that I went for was totally different. It was actually mind-numbingly different Mm -hmm. where it was in the political realm where I I actually did take a pay cut. I remember at that time saying that I was probably, I think my salary was double what I was going to get paid in my next job. But I thought it was just so fascinating. And and so in line with my own passions, interests and competencies, I suppose, right? And so the Labour government in the UK had come along and I'd always been politically active in the sense that with a small p. And at university, I I was active in these kinds of fields as well. And so what happened was, was that the Labour Party was losing votes hand over fist from, from the Indian diaspora in the UK, which amounts to quite a decent vote bank. And so we had the visit by the Queen and Prince Philip to India, and they kind of, Prince Philip put his foot in it a few times. We used to have a foreign secretary called Robin Cook, who also took a very unnecessarily and wrong line, and it was hurting them over here in local election. So they wanted to create a unit that actually created more nuance and actually help the Labour Party navigate those waters a lot better. So it was a political job. My, you know, my office was in the House of Commons with a member of parliament, and I built out an organization quite successfully in trying to speak to not just the diaspora community, but to India's geopolitical interests. And at that time, India was just emerging as like a substantive power in the early 2000s, gone through quite a tough time in the 90s. And it was exciting to be there at that time. And I got tremendous opportunity from that. And from there, I went on to set up my own small consulting practice and business. And you took that leap of faith to say, actually, I'm going to go do this on my stuff. And I think there's something about DNA there, which says every Indian male has to try to some... At some or every Gujarati male in particular has to try do his own thing at one time in his life. And I thought this would, this would be it. And that calling was very strong. Okay, so
0: so you see, on this podcast, I have guests. Some of them are professionals. Some of them are consultants. And some of them, like yourselves, from the political side. And, and I had a friend ask me, Deepak, these guys aren't entrepreneurs. I said, you don't understand. An entrepreneur isn't only somebody who does a business. I mean, just just to observe how just fluid it was for you just now to say, Yeah, so I did all of this. I did, and then I started my own consultancy. And then, yeah, I built it up from there. I'm like, yo, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa. Just right there, I just want to put a shine, a huge light there because people listening to this, the fact that you started something on your own. So let's classify what that is. A, I'm going to tie this in from the beginning, why I say because it's such a healthy mindset. So, entrepreneurs like myself, I run entrepreneurship like I'm in a a bumper car. Kind of race. I'm just going to find a way, <laughs> bump here, bump there, find a way. Well, I'll get there, right? But it's through tenacity, effort. And that's not to say you want, but let me qualify. But it's like shoot first, ask questions later. And that's just the way I'm built. Okay. While you, on the other hand, and when I use the word thoughtful, I don't mean you predicted everything, but you did follow. You're very thoughtful about following your passions, interests, and what your skill sets are like you said, use this word relationships early on, right? You found out that that's where your skill was. And then you wanted to apply it in something more of an arena. You found that how to package your unique way of which then you launched your own
1: consultancy. It's quite interesting. In my latest avatar, which is after having a big corporate job and running a family foundation, the teacher prize and everything you say, at this iteration, it's quite interesting. So I'm 47 now, as opposed to 37, which is probably when I exited my own business to join my last employer. It's really interesting. So I have a, I have a friend who actually I give a lot of credit to because, and rightly so, helped shape my thinking around this, mm. which, was, which was around try to find out how people perceive you. Because if you can figure that out, then it helps you in your decision-making process as to, well, what are people willing to talk to you about? Mm. In other words, willing f- to engage with you on, right? So our egos are wonderful things. Our egos tell us we've done so many incredible things, right? I'm yeah. um, invincible when it comes to X or, y or Z. And so his experience was quite interesting. So he, he used to be, this is my friend Sri Srinivasan. If you haven't had him on your podcast, you should. And so okay. he, he used to be the chief digital officer for the Met Museum in New York. Okay. And, sure. and he got laid off. And on his way out of the door, he put out a... I think it was a Facebook post with an Excel sheet saying, Hey guys, listen, I've been laid off. If you have any ideas what I should do next, would you mind just going and putting in your thoughts on this document? And he didn't expect it to take off the way it did, but thousands of people went to this Excel sheet. It turned into a CNN story. It turned into <laughs> a media situation for him where he did land his next job. But when I was speaking to him last year and telling him about what was going on in my life. And he said, because that exercise was quite useful for him in that it made him understand how people perceive him. And he gave me advice saying, okay, over a period of time, say three months, why don't you make a note as to why people are calling you? And it's as simple as that. And what I found at the end of three months, and he was right in that 80, 85% of all inbound traffic, as I refer to it, related to three areas. Right? Only three areas. And these three areas probably constituted only like 20% of my last role. Mm. Right? And so, had I not done this exercise, I would have gone down this other path that's thinking that this is how people think of me and this is how people want to transact with me. And so, that's led me to think okay, whatever I build has to have these three things, which constitute 80, 85% of all inbound traffic uh, at the heart of it. And so, that's how I've gone about thinking about this. And I think it's really important for people to understand. The more easier you make it for people to understand who you are and what you do, I think the more likely uh, your success. So you immediately jumped. So you skipped a decade
0: and your story over COVID was also fascinating. So we touched on your consultancy. We touched on of which then you moved on to the Global Teacher Prize, Okay, which you ran for how many years? Seven years. Yeah. Seven years. So if you're listening, you should just look up that organization. It was just some great impact work. But again, building that from, from scratch. And the winner received a million US dollars and still does. Yes. The, the winner receives a million US dollars. And let's touch on then your COVID year. And I know we're still in the second
1: year of COVID year. But that approach you took surprised you as well, right? Yeah, what happens? In, I'm not saying that I was very organic in the way that I approached my career. But there was some thought in it, like you said earlier, right? But what COVID has done for me is, rationally speaking, I was thinking, if these are the three things why people come to me, what can I build, right? And I thought about some ideas and I started working on those ideas and COVID has come along and there was something more organic happening, which I thought was quite interesting, but I had no idea that I could turn it into anything, right? Hmm. And so by just chipping away at things and trying things, I've come to this realization that the first thing if I step back is I want to stay in the education sector, right? And I think it's just a humongous thing that we have to grapple with. And every question that, or every challenge humanity faces, the only solution really is more education. Right. And so that being the case, I want to stay in this sector, because I think it's fundamentally important and I find it quite interesting. And also over the last decade or so, I've developed a network, I've developed an understanding and knowledge. And, and this is global, stuff. right? And this is of the global yeah. education landscape, right? Right. So when I look at that, I just think that there's so much to be done. The question is, what will you focus on? Mm. Right. And so my thing has been around, okay, for a decade or so, I've worked with system leaders, ministers of education, heads of government, and very important people. But actually, I came to this realization that equally, whenever I travel somewhere in the world, I'd always see a great school or I'd meet a great teacher. And I'd ask myself, why is it that I don't know? And, and then you think, okay, how is it that Because of these technologies that we now use, Zoom and Google and Teams and all these kinds of platforms, all these new voices can be brought to the table so that people understand how you develop expertise and how you can advance the agenda of a school that wants to become better at something. I think that's a wonderful opportunity that COVID actually presents us. And so that's the kind of opportunity that I'm pursuing. So just to be clear,
0: this thesis was developed after experimenting or this was this thesis when you started? No, no, this has happened organically. And I just want to highlight what you did because you're making it sound so easy. It's what you do naturally. And again, the entrepreneur mindset is that even during the crisis, it's not to say where are the opportunities specifically, but you had that opportunity again. And this is what happens during the entrepreneur life cycle. We have these opportunities and I call them the transition phases. You're either starting up, you're either growing, you're pivoting or you're... Restructuring, which is downsizing. Okay. And this happens as a life cycle. And that could be even within the businesses, other business units, or whatever. And basically, you've, but you've automatically taken that approach, is my point. Hence, I say your mindset, the entrepreneurial mindset to you, just comes naturally. But what you did, most of the other people, myself included in many respects, on certain areas will be the deer in the headlight. Oh my God, the house is on fire. I don't know what to do. Now you're like, okay, I've got this extra time. Let me be thoughtful about the process of, again, take back what I know and then take back what I want to do. Let me talk to some people and then start iterating. You
1: went back to startup mode, right? Yeah, you know, I think there's something more fundamental than that. This is something that, that I think that we should pay a bit of attention to, which is it's a little bit, again, it's a little bit too much schmaltzy stuff talked about, but it really comes down to the statement of purpose. Right? And if you're driven by a certain problem, you try and chip away at it. right? Yeah. And I think there's such a fundamental disconnect in the world today on these topics that I'm curious enough to want to try. And yes, it may result in failure, but I want to try. And I'm going to have a long-standing kind of commitment to that. right? And that's what I kind of decided when I entered the education sector, saying I'm going right. to be here the, until the day I die. Because it's such a fundamental importance. Now, in that, there's humongous amounts of things you can do. And all these, I think we are at an inflection point. And I think we need new approaches. We need innovation. We need to be committed to doing things differently. And so that being the case, it's not going to come from... What is, what is that phrase? If you ask the same question to the same people, you're going to get the same answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that kind of thing where we have to think differently as to how we do better for our societies. One of the coaches that I work
0: with, so I get coached by, talks about curiosity and talks about courage as well. And I think a lot of the traps we fall into is saying, again, your mindset was earlier on that you were coming from such a lower income that you had nothing to lose. But I will argue also for a lot of people, they'll approach that statement to say, let me make the money that I can. And shove my purpose down the road for later because I'm desperate. So again, that healthy mindset of yours, I'm sorry, but for you comes easily. But for a lot of people, it's challenging. They feel they don't have the time. They, they don't have the time. And for you to approach it from the point of view of I've got nothing to lose, but actually what you're saying is not only you got nothing to lose, you're curious about your purpose and you're courageous enough to focus on it, which is what's allowing you to be here today and continue to
1: innovate in this space. Yeah, but it's also a journey that you go on, Deepak. It's not something that you start off thinking at the age of 21, university, saying, this is my, I'm going to be focused on purpose. But as you mature, as you get these diverse experiences, you come into that view. And at this age, if I don't have this conversation with myself, I really don't know what I would have learned, right? And so there's a time sequential kind of piece to this, which I think you just need to have, you, you just need to run the yards One of the things I'll tell you, and I say this not as a matter of pride, but a fact. When you say to me, what is it that marks out an entrepreneur's journey? Mm. I say, nothing but hard work. Mm. Thankless hard work, right? And there's a truism with that. I mean, only the very few make it because they're intensely bright, right? It's just hard yard. You have to put in the hours, you have to put in... What did they say? What is the other phrase that you once quoted to me saying? Anyway, it doesn't matter, whatever the phrase is. But the point I make to you is that I realized quite early on that I wasn't a clever guy. I figured very early on that I didn't have an intellectual mindset. But where I could trump most people was on EQ and relationship. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, are supreme superpowers in today's age. Yeah. Right? In the age where Google knows everything. And so that's just happened because time has given us that, right? But it's really important to actually, if you're talking about mindset in particular, also realizing very young that actually my strengths are not in being a bookworm or being great at formal education or getting going to the best universities and those kinds of things. But what I am pretty good at and pretty decent at is the ability to hold a conversation with Deepak, the, the, the ability to relate to other people, hmm. uh, the ability to figure out a path and put in the hours to get there. And those are such fundamental features of entrepreneurship.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you realize this early on. Let's just yes. say that. You realize this early on. So, on that journey for a lot of people, it is Those crises that they face is actually, those are just data points coming back to you to say, come back to your core, come back to your strengths. My journey, a lot of the pain in my journey was because A, I didn't notice my value and B, I didn't appreciate my value. And once I started centering myself towards that, things started changing for me. And it is that fundamental. That point of hard work is crucial, crucial. But remember, A lot of that hard work technically is effortless. And I'll say that again. A lot of that hard work is technically effortless purely because you're enjoying what you're doing. (laughs) The whole sports analogies are so easy to talk about, but Kobe, Jordan, those guys aren't tired. Yeah, physically they'll get it, but they're not tired. They'll show up again every day. It's how you show up again, right? Because you're aligned to your purpose and you just love the uphill battle. You love the game that you're playing, right? Ultimately, right? Great, great comments. Vic, I'm conscious of your time. So this is that whole going back in time question, right? But I have a bit of a twist to it. So what would you tell yourself 10 years ago that you would actually listen to advice-wise? Because you were pretty clear. What is the piece of advice that, just like you spoke to your friend, was it Srinivasan here now, right? You're talking about that gentleman. But what's the advice you would have liked to have heard maybe a decade ago that you would have actually listened to because you're a clever guy? Great question. Why just 10 years ago? Okay, then you pick a moment of time.
1: I think I've learned, I call them equations. Okay. There's an equation which I've learned, which is quite interesting. As an observer at various levels of my career, I've observed this equation play out. right? And so it's that thing about powerful people, right? And so okay. it all depends on how you define power, right? But let's say power includes politicians, heads of government. And the other part of this equation is rich people. Okay. Uh, people with resources, people with wealth. And the real equation there is rich people really crave for the attention of powerful people. And powerful people really crave for the attention of rich people. And the quicker we understand that, I think the quicker an entrepreneur can make progress in terms of the way you sell your products or your services, the way you position yourself. There's a truism with this. Okay, and, which is one of the things that has come through. And it's one of the things that I've learned. Okay.
0: You know,
1: in, in the education sector, my equation is a little bit different, which is teachers trust teachers and schools trust schools. Beyond that, I would say they don't really care about anything else. And there's another truism. It's another equation, right? And right. that's the way, kind of, in my simple mind, how I process stuff. And those two things really stand out to me as lessons that I've learned. I'll take away the fact that we should come
0: up with some laws of gravity kind of that are fundamental. Of course, the trap there is that we have an assessment that's wrong, but we're talking about truisms that are true under all conditions, right? And and that's a great way when we especially have this time to take pause, which we must take pause anyway. So, out of all the horrible things that happened during COVID, and that's a theme during these podcasts, is we have been given time. So, entrepreneurs are busy people. I've been given at least a 30% time check. I used to travel every week minimum. China. And then you add Vietnam and you add our world economic forum trips, you add other client trips. I mean, and yourself, I mean, at least a third of the year, minimum four months of the year traveling. And then all the tiredness that comes around that. So imagine we've all been given a minimum 30% time check and we're not busy. (laughs) So that's why I'm like, we're all given 50% more more time. What are we doing with this time? It's a great, awesome time to reflect Find smart people to talk to and just simplify, I think, as well.
1: I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about with these truisms, right? Yeah, absolutely. The thing about the travel point you make is quite interesting. So in the absence of travel, how do you develop perspective? Is I think the question we should be obsessing about, because I think it is perspective that leads to better
0: decisions. Right. There's another challenge that you're opening up right there. Yeah. So how are we getting perspective during this time, Right. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're stuck at home and your Zoom calls are the only way you really interact Mm. with. And you think, well, how do I know what's real? It is this point of, I mean, you,
0: one can even talk about, so here's my business with teams in two different places in China, which is effectively North England to South England or East Coast, US to West Coast. I mean, literally China is that big, right? And then I'm in Hong Kong and then teams in Vietnam and then clients all over the world, right? How do you make that happen? And again, talking to my teams, to my internal teams today, that relationship building is even more important in today's time because we used to yeah. take that for granted, right? And that is part of this new world of managing as we're going forward.
1: I think we all have to address this point, which is sure, we've gone through a really tough time. There are no questions about it. This time in history, we've been marked out as. And the whole world
0: is going through this. No one's exempt
1: from this. Yeah, apart from New Zealand, actually. But what I would encourage everyone to think about is, well, what are the opportunities that this presents to me? Given that much of the world has been so severely disrupted, we can ponder on the negative. We can ponder on the stress. And of course, those are real things. But there's got to be an upside. And I think the mindset of a... If you're talking about entrepreneurship, I think it's about the mindset of a fighter. You know how do I come out fighting from this? Right, that I give myself the best chance of success, and you have to think of it like that. And I think that's really important. And that's what I've applied through this, saying that okay, my initial business idea that I came up with when I left my job would have failed. I made some progress, but I had to put it on the back burner and pivot, like you said earlier. And you just have to work hard through this in terms of try things, fail at things. That's okay, but you have to emerge and see the silver lining for. And to summarize what you just said, I mean,
0: it's that disruption mindset. I mean, we need to have that as a capability. Entrepreneur or not, this is the brave new world that we are facing. It is that disruption mindset because if we're going to expect things to be the same for a while or whatever we do will be the same for a while, that's
1: not the case. You know, it comes down to, there are no truisms. Uh, actually, I gave you those two power equations. Let's just talk about the world of work for a second, right? Yeah. And so all these real estate, around the city of London or Hong Kong and companies saying you don't need to come back to the office for until the end of the year, has a massive impact on the way their employees function and the systems and processes that they've had to invest in. Do you really think that people are going to say come back to the offices, overpriced offices, and things like that? So there's an element of that, sure. Mm. But is it going to come back <clears throat> to the same degree as what it was in terms of office working? Yeah. Probably not. And then you think about where, where my previous office was, we had a small kind of community where we had coffee shops, restaurants, right. that kind of thing in the, in the heart of the West End of London. I think, well, I can tell you that on Bond Street, I saw a photo yesterday, this very high-end retail kind of avenue in London, where real estate is such a premium that there are seven shops vacant in a row yeah. because business has gone bust. And that's never happened, right? Exactly. Never, right. never happened. Never happened. And yeah. so, you just think fundamentally are changing, and it's too early to say even now. But I just do think that lots and lots of changes is coming.
0: Right. And let's talk about now. So last year, last year was a reactive year. We, the whole world was punched in the gut by COVID. Okay, that was a reactive slap in the face. Nobody predicted. Okay. But this year, I'm encouraging the people, especially my masterminds, make it intentional. Intentional, purely because what what's happened is not going to get far better, but it's not going to get much worse. And now manage with this uncertainty. And now you have no excuse this year not to work on the whole restructuring that needs to happen. But let's just tie in the point as we wrap up here. You will only find the solution, just like you say, the fighter mentality. You'll only find the solution if it's worth fighting for, which is purpose. So use this, even if you're earlier on. Even if you're early on in your career, you'll still have a sense of that purpose. Go find that now because that's the battle that you want to be facing once everything's on fire like it is. (laughs) No disagreement with me, Dr. Madani. Thank you, Vikas. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Did you have any moments of clarity? I would love for you to rate and review this episode. Your feedback is crucial to tailoring this content for your growth needs. If you would like to hear more, Please be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn and or message me on DM at DeepakasCoffee.com.